will mock in our children's sermon another call to be instruments of God's peace. Oh my gosh, you scared me. How long have you been standing there? Well, since you're here, I'll tell you what I was thinking about. There was this one time when I was hanging out with some buddies on 4th of July. Fair warning, don't go and try this, okay? Just because you heard it at church don't mean you do it. But me and some friends, we had put some fireworks in some mailboxes. And, uh, of course, it blew the mailboxes up and burnt the insides of the ones that we use small fireworks for. Again, this is me telling you not to do this. I'm telling you what I did. And uh, in this time, afterwards, we got in trouble. My mom was yelling at my friends, and I was standing off to the side like, ha, 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 y'all getting in trouble. And then we went inside. She didn't yell at me. I got a spanking. I'm trying to tell you, I wanted no part of it. I would have rather had the yelling at than what I received. And I said, Mama, you only yelled at my friends? How come you spanked me? That's not fair. She said, well, they're not mine. I expect more from you. And uh, that's kind of what our story, our passage is about today. Uh, as we look into the book of Amos for the first two chapters, uh, what we really see is Amos, who is a prophet, he is calling into the wilderness around Israel. And he's calling out different cities and areas saying like, hey, like, this is the judgment that God is going to bring upon you. And judgment is just a, a way of saying that God is punishing or they're getting in trouble for the things that they have done. And so God is bringing judgment or get or they're getting in trouble for what they've done. And God is saying uh, these things through Amos about a bunch of surrounding areas or places that are close to Israel. And in this time, Israel's getting wealth and enjoying their prosperity, which just means that they're enjoying a good time, uh, thinking that they're getting away with what they're doing. You know how you... You, you do something, and you're like, oh, mama didn't see me, mama didn't see me. And then she's like, oh, I saw you. Wait till we get home. You've, you've done that in Walmart where you're like, don't touch nothing. And you touch something, and, and she's like, wait till we get home. And so that's kind of how, uh, how Israel is in this period. They're like, ooh, getting away with all these things I'm doing. And then next thing you know, Amos says, oh, in Israel, God didn't forget about you. You have allowed the people who are vulnerable or the people who can't defend themselves to become victims. In fact, you are profiting off of these people. You are selling them into slavery, which is essentially where you just, um, you take away the value of a person and, and you give them to somebody else, making them not their own anymore. They do not have control over their lives. And so they're selling people into slavery, specifically uh, some people at different values, which uh, it's hard to explain, but essentially they're giving people away for what would be like a sandal. If I took off my shoe and gave it to you, and then you gave me your brother, and it was like, keep him. I don't want him no more. It'd be like that. Uh, and, and God is just saying, like, you are doing to the poor uh, what, is, or what Egypt did to you. You are giving people away. You are making them work uh, for unfair wages, and you are not allowing them the opportunity to represent themselves or even get out from underneath of this tyranny, which is just uh, a big word to say that it's unfair and people are oppressing them, or in a way kind of like consistent bullying, uh, if, if, that, if you will. And so in this time, Amos is talking to uh, Israel and he's, and he's saying these things, and then he's reminding them that, hey, God, he protected you from this when Pharaoh wouldn't let you go 
he got you back from Egypt and he gave you your freedom. So why would you take the blessings that you have been given and, and then turn around and do the same thing to somebody else? And, and really what Amos is calling us to do, what God is calling us to do through Amos is to take the blessings and grace that we've been given and then use it to bless others, not to harm others. And so going back to uh, how I was saying they're attacking the poor and those who are uh, not able to defend themselves, specifically those people are the people that we should be looking to help, not hurt or push away. A lot of times we think it doesn't affect me. I don't have to do anything for them, but instead we should be thinking, how can I be a blessing because I've been blessed? Or how can I help somebody because Jesus helped me? He died on the cross for me, right? He died on the cross for you as well. And when he did that, he helped you in a situation where you couldn't help yourself. So start thinking about how you can help somebody who can't help themselves. Thanks, Samuel. A great, uh, great picture of God's desire for justice everywhere and anywhere. And that that desire for justice starts with God's people. God has, as Samuel said, blessed us so that we might be a blessing to the world. I mean, God's justice rules over humanity and God's people are the one called to lead the way, to do that justice wherever we work, live, or play. So we'll see in, in the beginning of Amos, we'll read that passage, um, or parts of Amos chapter 1 here. We'll see how God rules over all of humanity with justice. Not, not just God's people, not just Israel, not just Judah, not just church, but over all of humanity. Now, let me just set this up a little bit. Amos, he's a prophet to God's people. He's one that's been, he's actually a tree farmer, if you read in, in the text. But God's called him now to speak to the, the people of the world, not just to Israel, not just to Judah. But particularly, Amos has a focus on Israel, which is the northern kingdom. Uh, by this time, uh, Israel has uh, divided into two, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. And Amos focuses, as we'll see as we read through the passage, he will focus on uh, Israel. Uh, but he also is one bringing God's word. A prophet is one who brings God's word. He's bringing them to the people of all the nations. And as Samuel mentioned, uh, what he, it's like um, he's uh, so talking first to the nations that surrounded Israel in that day. Sort of like if uh, we were in Ohio, he, he's going to talk to Indiana, and then he's going to talk to New York and Pennsylvania, West Virginia and Kentucky, you know, and, and Michigan. He'll talk to all of them. And in Ohio, we're sitting sort of like Samuel with his mom. Huh, we're sitting pretty. Yeah, way to go, God. Go get all those people over there. And then at the end of the passage, then God hones his eyes in on God's people. In Israel and Judah, but we'll we'll see that. That's that's what Amos is is doing here. So let's uh, uh, let, let's let's pray, and then we'll jump into the first part of uh, the words of Amos. Almighty God, again we thank you for your written word, and we thank you for how it speaks to us and uh, how you direct us. You show us of your blessing to us and of your call and uh, upon us, and and our opportunity and, and responsibility to to be your people. So help us to hear uh, from you, 
so that you continue to impact our, our very lives for, for your glory uh, and for a blessing uh, to the world. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, uh, verse uh, 2, uh, Amos speaking. Uh, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Now, I know, you know, none of, not many of these names are familiar to us as we're reading this, but to Amos readers, they would have known them. It would have been like he would have said from the three transgressions of Indianapolis. And then he would have talked uh, uh, about Detroit. And then he would have talked about Lexington. You know, the, they're places that we would have known. Um, and uh, you might be familiar with Damascus and Syria, but Damascus is the capital of Syria, the nation. And what God is saying to this pagan land, to this, this nation of, uh, of Syria, he's telling them, God's bringing judgment upon you because how you ha- what you have done to the people of Gilead. Um, and if we, we walk through this, I'm just going to read a couple more passages from these first two verses, and you'll see how God brings his judgment on all the surrounding nations. Uh, verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Eden. Then verse 9, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and do not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Then verse 11, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath Forever. Then verse 13, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. And then finally, chapter 2, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So in, in each one of these, then, you, you, you see each of those nations, each of these pagan nations are called out by Amos saying, this is God's judgment upon you, and this is why. In each case, that the nation has, through wars, through killing, through pillaging, through destruction, through oppression, uh, they have destroyed another group of people. They have oppressed another group of people. They have transgressed the very basic of God's justice. And as we've been going through this series, I remind you again, God's justice is that three-legged stool uh, that, that, va- that, that, that lifts up, that, that gives balance to um, human equity, human value, and human flourishing. 
And as as Samuel said, what each of these nations have done is they've transgressed God's notion of justice. They have abused a certain group of people around them for their own benefit. The very opposite of God's understanding of justice. The other thing that I want you to to notice here is that um, God judges not just individuals, but the, the corporate communal action of a group of people. Not just individuals, but the nation, the city, the nation of Syria, the the, the nation of Tyre, the the, the nation of Moab. That that whole group of people are being judged by God. And and, and similarly, God judges a a city, a, a nation, a church, a family, a business. I mean, God wants God's justice to be done by individuals and by corporate groups of people, however they might be formed. Abraham Kuyper uh, is a Presbyterian Christian long time ago. Has a great uh, quote that I think captures this really well. I think we might even have it on the, the screen here. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Isn't that a great way to express justice and the understanding of, of justice? That it, It's not some, okay, here are some ethical chart we're supposed to follow, but it's Jesus saying, no, these are mine. These are my people. This is my creation. I know how it works best and this is what is right. Human value to be lifted up for all. Human equity. Human flourishing. That's the picture of God's justice. God rules over all human beings with justice. And God desires in all of human existence to be characterized by God's justice. Now, the, the second uh, point I, I think is even more fascinating than the, the first. I mean the, the, I mean, the first point recognizes that yeah, we, there's not areas that God has that we need to be concerned about God's justice, and then there's areas where well, we don't have to worry about it. God doesn't. Jesus doesn't. He worries about all. I mean, he's concerned about all. He wants his justice in all. Not only in human, though, but even in spiritual beings. Psalm 82. I just want to jump over to Psalm 82 for for a minute, and we'll come back and finish up uh, with with Amos. Um, But this is a a psalm that, that captures the notion of God desiring God's justice even over all spiritual beings of of God's creation. Right, Psalm 82, here, here's his word here. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. 
Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now, that's a fascinating passage here, because you know, if you're you know, following along, that first verse might ought to cause a little furrowed brow. I mean, what what's going on here? What are there's God with a capital G, and there's gods with a small g, and they're gathered in some council together. It's sort of like the Justice League, for those of you that remember that cartoon. You know, where you get all the superheroes gathered together. Well, now, what does this mean that all these gods have gathered together, and there's one with a big G and other with little g? Well, remember, first, it's a psalm. It's poetry. He's, he's telling a story, telling a story with a point. And the story was, would have been common for people to have understood in the, the days of the psalmist here, where, you know, they, pagans understood that, the, or believed that, you know, the gods, um, Baal and uh, all the other gods, they met together in council every once in a while to how they were going to rule or control the earth. So this is sort of using that common story so that folks would understand that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the God of all creation. And he's over even all of the, the gods of their imagination or their belief system. And for us, we certainly understand there is a spiritual world of spiritual beings. Um, you, you read in Daniel about the gods who are the, the prince of Persia and, and who oversee certain areas. You, you read in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians that, that there are principalities and powers of the spiritual beings. That are, uh, you remember Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual beings and powers of this world. So he's telling this story so that in a way that they could understand and we can understand that, that God oversees even the spiritual beings of this world. But do you note what he desires, what his, his rubric of judgment is for even the spiritual beings of this world? It's how do you take care of the vulnerable? How are you doing my justice? How are you leading my... And they're failing miserably, just like Israel and Judah were, the spiritual beings. And God is bringing judgment upon them. Yahweh, the the God of Israel, brings direct correction to the gods, little g, to the spiritual beings of this world, according to His three-legged stool of justice, human equity, human value, and human flourishing and at the end verse 8 capture that one the cry of the prophet the cry of the psalmist here oh god rise up judge the earth all the nations are yours i mean we could expand it from the psalm 82 we could expand uh, kuiper's quote that's not not only no square inch of human existence but no square inch of all of creation No square inch of heaven and earth. Does Jesus not cry out, mine? Now, uh, so, uh, so God's justice, God rules over all. God is sovereign over all. So therefore, God's justice over spiritual and physical is, is God's desire among all of creation. And What we see at the end of Amos, back to Amos uh, chapter 2, is that then he calls God's people to influence the world according to God's justice today. I mean, it's God's people now, empowered by God's Spirit, knowing God's Word, who are now called to lead the way, to carry it out, to do it, 
to do what is just and what is good, what is right. As Micah say, but oh, oh God, what, oh, oh, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. So it's God's people that lead the way. All right. So back to chapter two, starting with verse four. So he's gone through the other nations and now he hones in on Judah and Israel. Uh, God's people. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Now, again, I mean, there's a whole, whole lot in there. But what I want to bring us to the fore is to, uh, to the fore for us to see and, and explore here is with Judah and with Israel. He brings even more clearly how they have transgressed God's commands. I mean, they're the ones that have been privileged to receive the law. They're the ones that have been privileged to, to receive God's good word, what, what leads to life, and yet they deny it. They avoid it. They, they do not follow God's way. And he's calling them account again for transgressing the very justice of God. It's God's people that God chooses who said, you are mine and I am yours. Here is my word. Here is the truth. Here is now the way that you are, are to live in this world. Know that I am with you every step of the way. In some way saying, listen, you're my people. You got no worries. I, I have embraced you in my mercy and grace and goodness and have given you my truth. Now go live it out in my power in the world around you. You're, you're the one that have to take the lead. They're not going to do it. I haven't chosen them. I've chosen you. God has chosen us. You and me. To be leaders in our places of influence. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. We are sent on a mission to be outposts of God's kingdom as a people to influence our world. We're part of Christ's embrace of calling every square inch of human existence belonging to him. Wherever we live, work, and play. The, the same call to Judah and to Israel are to us. And what, what I, I, I want to just highlight numbers of ways that I've seen that, that question. Uh, I've seen that issue being uh, addressed or not addressed. It, just in our community. A, number, a couple stories here. 
One, um, you can see this one in, in the Inquirer this week. Actually, I think it's in the hard copy newspaper uh, this morning. Um, but it's a whole article, a really good article about redlining. Redlining was a, a common practice among uh, 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 realtors and mortgage banks in, for the most part, most of the 20th century. Um, and, and what they do, they, they gauge different neighborhoods according to color, color-coded them. Green and uh, blue were like the, the top and then yellow and then red, I think, were down. I know red was the bottom. And what, what happened um, is they, they got together and they rated the neighborhoods so that those neighborhoods that were highly rated uh, made it easier to get a loan and you got a lower rate. Uh, and then as neighborhoods got to be worse, according to their rating, the redlined neighborhoods, if they were even going to be given mortgage loans, they were going to be really hard to get and the highest rate. And what happened in that century is that largely those neighborhood ratings followed a different color setting, not just the green, blue, yellow, red, but also white and black. So that white neighborhoods were given the green and the blue. They were easier to get mortgages and better rates. And then the people of color neighborhoods, where largely they lived, were, were given lower ratings and harder to get mortgages if even they were able to get them. Well, that it took till 1968 for that to become illegal, one, and still occurred for most of the, the century. I know of at least one major national bank that was charged and convicted of redlining even into the 90s. But the damage, not only was of that, but the damage we still see today. And that's what the article really brings out. That you see among families that are white and families of color, you see huge disparities today because of the impact of those practices. You see huge impact on who owns homes, percentages of families that own homes or don't. Uh, what what their um, wealth is because largely what happened for most of the citizens of our country, they developed wealth because through the equity in their home. And so some groups of people were allowed that easily. Others were denied it or made it really hard. And that's the reason for those realities today. And so the article goes through that. But here's what I wonder. I wonder, where were the Jesus followers in those realtor association meetings? Where were the Jesus followers in those board meetings at the mortgage bank saying, no, wait a minute. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is weeping over this. This is not what he, this is not how he wants mine to be handled. Where were they? Where were we? Where was I? Now, um, uh, uh, on, the, on the flip side, the positive side, have you seen the movie Dark Waters? It's a movie about a Cincinnati attorney, Robert Bellot, who, who spent 20 years of his life battling DuPont chemicals in a little town called Parkersburg, West Virginia. It was 70s or 80s that a farmer from Parkersburg who, who, who knew Mr. Bellot's um, mother or grandmother came and visited and said, listen, what, look at what's happening to my cows. And he told the story of how they were just dying and having all these weird growths. And then, so eventually, Bilot 
went to investigate and find out it wasn't just happening to cows. It was happening even to people and how cancer rates in the area were going up. And 20 years later, over $670 million judgment was made against DuPont as it was revealed that they were dumping poisonous chemicals into the water supply. Now, Mr. Balot, it, it, it cost him a lot of energy, cost him a lot of time, cost him his health. He was hospitalized a number of times during these 20 years because of the stress uh, that was upon him. Because there were even people in the Parkersburg um, community that were protesting what they were doing against DuPont because they saw what du- the DuPont was one bringing them a lot of money and bringing them jobs. And they had no idea, though, what they were giving was far less than what they were taking in that community. Really good. Uh, well, uh, the, the story's fascinating. The, the movie it got uh, three and a half stars in my family rating. Uh, I, I thought it was good. Others said uh, they left, left something to be desired. But tells a powerful story. Um, uh, or you can read his book, Exposure. Another, another um, good example in, in our community, Nehemiah Manufacturing. Started about ten years ago. And they purpose some, some folks that had really good business acumen, really good entrepreneurial skills. They wanted to develop um, a, a business where they would take on other uh, smaller businesses with good ideas and help to expand them and make them larger. But not just for their own benefit. They, they, they called themselves a second chance company. They purposefully will hire folks that work in their manufacturing plants who need another chance. Maybe they have spotty work history. Maybe they have spotty education history. Maybe they have a record. Maybe they're um, returning citizens uh, who've paid their debt and they're ready to get back to work. Those that make it have a really, really difficult time finding work. That was their, their purpose. That was the, one of the purposes of their business is to provide jobs and change lives of their employees. They employ social workers to come alongside their workers. They work very closely with like CityLink and City Gospel and Jobs Plus and St. Vincent de Paul and, and other agencies so that everyone, that human equity, human value, human flourishing is for all, that all can find meaningful work. Another one. This week, um, you know, we had the uh, uh, annual report of CHIRC, which is the College Hill Community Urban Redevelopment Corporation. Um, uh, Seth Walsh and Jacob Smod, of whom uh, many of you know, are leaders in that organization. And I, I participate with the ministerium. And it didn't come out in uh, uh, the, the meeting this week. But what the min- ministerium, which are the local ministers in the area, we're always asking Seth. We're meeting with Seth and, and Jake, of which they we have a, a great relationship. And we're always asking them the questions, well, what are you doing about affordable housing? Because uh, church, they bring in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into the uh, business district. And the things that you see in the business district and how it's changing are a lot because of their great work. Uh, but but we have to ask the question, are all people benefiting? 
And how do we make sure that's the case? And, and, and Jake and Seth are on board with that as well. So that they're setting aside affordable housing units and the uh, housing work that they use. They're, they're setting aside and, and actively seeking minority-owned businesses, uh, women-owned businesses to, to participate in the building of these huge projects because they know that we've already encountered it. You know, the new development that's going on North Bend and, and Hamilton that, that we love. It's great to see, but that's starting to cause property values to go up. I, I know of a couple folks who've had to move because their rent has gone up. Understandably, property values go up. The um, Landlords, they're, they're, if they taxes go up, they're going to go up or they're going to put up their rent for what they can get. And that's how the market works. But what do we do with those folks or the folks who have lived, who own their own home? live in the neighborhood and have been living here for 40 years. But as property values go up, as taxes go up, does that push them out? So we have to be asking, and they're asking those questions. They're, they're pursuing that. Now, my last story is Erin. Erin is a friend of the family. Um, she went to school, uh, went to school in Cincinnati uh, schools um, her whole life, all the way from kindergarten to her master's in education at UC. And a good friend of one of my children, she's hung out with us, gone on vacations with us once or twice. Um, but she's African-American uh, um, resident of Cincinnati. And, and she remembers during her education that she did not encounter many books with by people that looked like her or that had characters that looked like her. And so she's now come out now and education is a real concern for her, an issue that she wants to address. So she is starting to raise money. To buy books with buy authors that look like her, buy, uh, that have characters that look like her, so that she can then give them, donate them to the, the schools in, in the city. So she's raised money. She got a, a friend of hers who's working now to to say, "Why don't you match what we raise?" And so they got together and figured it out. They figured, "Well, we can we can dream. What if we we raise five hundred dollars and then you match it? We'll have a thousand dollars to spend on, on books that we can then give to." These particular schools where they've developed relationships. And then, and then as they did it over this last Martin Luther King Day, um, then the, the money started coming in. We're like, yeah, man, it, it, we're gonna reach 500. What if we reach a thousand? Well, then her friend who said, I'll match it, started to gulp a little bit and say, oh, yeah, that would be really good. Well, lo and behold, it, it started to mushroom and took off and they had to stop the fundraising on Sunday, even before the holiday of Monday, at $3,000, $6,000 total from her social crowdsource funding through Twitter and Facebook to, to address an issue of justice that she's ready to take the lead on in our city. This um, little old Aaron. So from the, the big to the, the little, we see ways that God is calling people, leading people to, to lead the way of doing God's justice for all people in our world. What's, what's the way that he's doing that with you? Uh, maybe on the playground. You're just simply there to stop the bullying that goes on or the name calling. To stop the jokes that make fun of certain people that are there. It may be in the boardroom that, that Jesus has you there to stand up and say, well, how does this impact the most vulnerable in our community? 
or, or just as a citizen in, in your neighborhood, in, in your community. Just to, to stand up with your local neighborhood councils uh, the, or in our city, in our state or in our nation. Now, I got one, one other little thing here. Yeah, it's, we're a little past the election now, so I feel a little more comfortable talking about politics that it, it won't just get turned off in a second. Um, but if you're, uh, I, I love that we have Republicans and Democrats that are here. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's what I, how do you pursue justice in the place that you are? Stay in your lane. Stop lobbing easy bombs at the other party. You work in your party to be sure that your party is fulfilling God's justice. If your candidate was elected, well, then it's your job as a Jesus father to be sure their their eyes are on what impacts the vulnerable. You be sure you give voice to that. It's easy to lob bombs at the other party. That's not why you're there. You're there as a missionary. For those of you that this is your, the place where, where, where you live and work and, and play, you're there to be sure the group that you're a part of is pursuing the justice of God. Taking, treating appropriately what Jesus has said is His. God wants justice to rule over heaven and earth. And it starts with God's people. Me. You. Us. Where is the place that God is calling you to give voice to the voiceless, power to the powerless, help to the helpless, to pursue justice, God's justice, where you live, work, and play? Let's pray together.